0: The Financial Dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax, or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast.
1: Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads podcast. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now, here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Financial Dads podcast. Today, I'm so excited for this guest. I've been waiting a while to kind of land him and now I finally got him on the podcast. I am talking to Paul Zwieben about navigating the real estate market in major cities, in particular, in the New York City market. Paul is a successful sales agent at Douglas Elliman Real Estate. Whether it's buying or selling a home, Paul and his partner, Carolyn, vice president of Douglas Elliman, serve up the best residences for their customers while catering to the needs of their owners. Paul, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Paul, I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, this is great. Um a little bit of a backstory. Paul and I met, uh, buddy of ours turned fifty and uh mutual mutual friend of ours. We didn't meet each other before that weekend, and then after the weekend became friends yes. <laughs> during that weekend, I guess, right?
0: Yeah, it was kind so, of a love um, fest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm fascinated by the real estate industry. I've always kind of had my eyes on, it. I guess personal finance plus technology have always been sort of at the crux but I've always kind of peeked behind the curtain on about real estate whether it's buying selling mortgages listings technology associated with it I've, I and maybe it's because I bought a few properties homes myself and it's always interested me the way the market um, the way the market is set up and and actually the way it's evolved I remember buying my first town home early 2000s Um, And and now it's a whole different ballgame when it comes to uh, buying and selling real estate. But Paul, before we jump in, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey.
0: Sure. So when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was be a chef. And I remember in 1979, I was, you know, in eighth grade, walking up to my Jewish four foot ten grandmother and saying to her, Grandma, I'm going to be a chef. And her reaction, basically she dropped her pot and pans on the floor and said, you should be a doctor or a lawyer. You're an idiot. And, <laughs> you know, that got me angry, but it also motivated me to really show her what I could do. And for the next 31 years or so, I was a chef in some very, very famous and popular and busy restaurants and, um, and, you know, I was an owner of a lot of them, and I just loved it. And then when I turned 42, you know, the story goes, I, we opened a restaurant called BLT Steak in D.C., and I was working there six days a week and flying back on Sundays to see my wife in New York City. And I would see her for a couple hours and then pass out. And I checked out of the hotel on a Sunday and checked back into the same hotel on a Monday. And the woman behind the, you know the, and, you know, the greeting counter says to me, didn't you just check out yesterday? And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I called my wife and I was like, look, I, I just can't serve food anymore. And she goes, you know what? You've been buying and selling real estates in your, in your 20s. You listened to every one of my deals. She was a broker already for seven years. Why don't you be my partner? And that was it. The next day I walked into you know my restaurant partners and I said, guys, I'm going to do a small transition, but I'm out of here. And they were like, Paul, you're a lifer. And I was like, well, it's over. And that was it.
1: Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I think that, um, that was kind of my, it's so funny. You mentioned the doctor lawyer thing. I had a friend of mine, a colleague at work, she said sort of the same thing. She goes "In my family, you're either a doctor, a lawyer or a failure. Right. Right. That's (laughs) unfortunately, I think some, some, some families really do think that way, but I, I, it's so it's really crazy. Um, I want to ask you, like, you worked in the restaurant industry, all about customer service. Sure. How has being in the restaurant industry, how has that better equipped you in that transition into the real estate business? And how does it tie to the real estate business and giving you that competitive edge? Sure.
0: So there's always problems in a restaurant. There's somebody that thinks the steak is overcooked or waiter was nasty or the coat check girl lost the coat. And our goal, no matter what, was to never let those customers leave unhappy. And if we had to buy them a $500 dinner, then we did it. If we had to buy them, a, you know, a round of drinks, we did it. But it was always about <clears throat> making sure that the customer didn't leave upset because you know and I know that if somebody has a good meal, they're going to tell four people. If somebody has a bad meal, they're going to tell 500 people. And, you know, I used to sell food and serve food. Now I sell real estate and serve real estate. Food goes bad. Real estate goes bad. And if I don't know my product, I'm fired. So it really, they really tie in together almost, it's they're almost the same business. It's a customer service oriented business.
1: Yeah, that, that's great. I mean, I think that I could see that customer service tie and I could see that you know, like you said, making sure the customer's happy. And when you talk about a customer in your business, it could be a buyer or a seller, correct? Sure. Or a renter or an investor. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I didn't even think about those other two categories. Um, So, so kind of getting into some of the nuts and bolts of, of people listening to the podcast, how does someone find the right agent for either side of the transaction, whether they're buying or selling or now that, you know, that you said it either or renting or or investing.
0: Right. You know, it's, I talk about this all the time when I do presentations with other agents in my firm. And I say, if 30 of us went and did a presentation to a seller and basically we have similar marketing, but not totally, we have a similar price. Who are they going to hire? And who they hire is who they connect with. So it's really about connecting with that buyer, seller, renter, investor. It's like, I was on 42nd Street today in Times Square. Do not ask me why I was there. Oh, my God. But um, I was on a call with a potential seller, you know, and the first thing I was like, how's your day going? You know, what's going on with your wife's job? Did she accept the job? Like, we didn't even talk about real estate because it's about connecting first. Oh, you have three kids. Oh, my God, I have two kids. I don't know how you do it. And it's like it's all about connecting. And if there's a connection – most likely you're going to get hired because they, they want to work with people that they like and they, they connect with.
1: Yeah, and I think that that leads to one of my other questions around what, you know, besides customer obsession and, and kind of being that connector, mm-hmm. what other qualities make for a really good real estate agent?
0: So f- Carolyn and I have, we know every agent in New York City, but we really know the big players and they all respect us. And they know we're going to negotiate hard, but they know that we're going to play fair. And by playing fair and having a reputation for so long, we're going to get more information out of those brokers, whichever side we're on. And that's going to be an advantage to the buyer or the seller or the other two categories.
1: Got it. Got it, and and I think you 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 touched upon something around negotiation mm-hmm. and such. But if you, I know this happens a lot. I watch a lot of real estate TV shows. We'll get into that later in the podcast, but because I have some questions about that, because I know you have a better inside track of sure. some of those those shows. What the what's real, what's not, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But how does an agent kind of representing and you know maybe both sides of the transaction? How do they balance between the buyers and sellers? And you you touched upon it with making sure everything is fair and and everything is kind of open, but is there anything else to kind of make sure you strike that balance when you're doing those deals? So we
0: never, or almost never like to represent both sides. So what we do is let's say you and your wife walked in off the street and I have an exclusive and you're like, Paul, I wanna buy this apartment or this house. The first thing I'm gonna say is, do you have an agent? And you're gonna say, no, I don't. And then I'm gonna say, we can absolutely put the offer in on your behalf but I want to be clear and I'm going to have them sign a document from the department of state that clearly states, I represent the seller. I have a fiduciary responsibility only to the seller and you're coming in without representation. This way, there's no muddy waters.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Cause that's big with, with investing as well. Looking for a fiduciary, right. right? Someone that's going to represent you right. fully uh, when it comes to, Uh, the transaction. I think, like I said, I think I've seen on TVs where uh, I I was watching some show, there was a husband and wife couple who, who actually are in the same, you know, in the real estate business and they're negotiating on TV. I'm like, does that really happen? I guess sometimes it does, but to your point, you, you, what you try to do is make sure that it's super clean and just that negotiation is very separate. And that's what it sounds like. Because what
0: happens is if you're representing both sides, I mean, you know, and something goes wrong, they're coming after you. They're coming after your commission. They're coming after your, you know, brokerage. They're coming after you and you don't want that. So by having a clear line in the sand saying, I represent the seller, you're coming in represented. And as long as you're comfortable with that, then we're good.
1: Cool. Cool. And, and switching gears a little bit, the real estate industry's changed in terms of finding properties and looking for, you know, looking for properties and negotiations, all kinds of different things. But what are some of the most important resources buyers should be using nowadays and why?
0: Well, the one important resource is to have somebody on their side. So whether it's me or, you know, their cousin, which I would never recommend, but, um, you know, having a good agent on your side, having an agent that's really scouring all the websites and portals to see what's coming up live every day. Um, And also having the inside track of stuff that's coming on from whether it's your office or whether it's, you know, another firm that says, hey, Paul, just wanna let you know, we have something coming on in the penthouse at 1045th Avenue. If you need to get somebody in before we start showing to anyone else, we'll do that. So really that's the biggest thing. And then, you know, uh, like for me, I read the real deal every day, every day, just to see what's going on, whether it's commercial and residential, you know, if you're in the, in the market and you want to buy in the Hamptons or buy in Shelter Island or Connecticut, but it's, I'm sorry, take Connecticut out of it, but like the New York area, that's something to use as a resource, just to really, um, you know, to learn about the market and just get seasoned as a buyer or a seller.
1: Yeah, very cool. And then that kind of leads to my next question. Um, uh, which is more of a broader question. Has the internet and social media changed the real estate business? Like in terms of buying, selling, has it made it better? Has it made it easier? Has it made it worse in some cases? What's your opinion when it comes to the, the, those those areas?
0: so i'm I'm very heavy into social media, but I do what I want to do. I don't follow trends. I don't, you know, dance in an apartment. I am, you know, sometimes I'm like funny, sometimes I'm not, but it's about, you know, the business, but I also intertwine like food into my social media, which if you're just a real estate broker and you're just doing social media, just about real estate, people aren't going to follow you because they're like, oh my God, stop. But if you have some other interests that are interesting to other people, that really gives you a good, you know, grasp on people that are looking at that stuff um so that's my opinion on social media but then there's other people that are like standing in front of a jet they're like going i'm going to china to save dogs and it's like that's not your jet and you're not going to china but you know so there's a lot of make-believe stuff and then as far as the internet i mean it really has changed the business dramatically i mean you know in the 80s people used rolodex cards for new listings and now somebody calls you and says tell me about 645 west end avenue apartment 9c Classic six, it's on for one, you know, $1995. One button. You're like, oh, it's been on the market for 132 days. You know, Joe Lippman is the broker. Um, it's had three price drops and it looks like it's interior based on the photos. So all of that has really helped with, you know, speed.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And, and I guess one of the things when I was looking at some of your social media, which is brilliant, by the way, Thank you. you do have that mix of the cooking and I saw the christmas tree purchase sure that was cool you know yeah. and and but one of the things i wanted to ask you about was how important is the open house process for both buyers and sellers
0: so prior to covid there were always public open houses and <clears throat> excuse me since covid they've all become by appointments so it's really changed a lot um you know, it used to be like, oh, we can go, go to 10 open houses in one day. And now with by appointment, so what brokers do, I could have six open houses from 11 to one, but I don't need to be at all of the places all at the same time. So it makes the open houses for me more efficient. So I don't have to stand in one property for 90 minutes. I can sort of bop around, um, but it's just less important right now. And I don't know if it's ever going to go back to, you know, the normal public open houses.
1: Interesting. I did not realize that. You think that's a a variable that is within kind of the me- big metropolitan cities as opposed to residential real estate, let's say, outside of the city, yeah, like in ne- suburban neighborhoods? Yeah. Do you have a view into that? No,
0: no. I mean, look, if you go to, you know, not the Hamptons, but if you're going to Long Island or to Westchester or Connecticut, they're still having people, you know, they're on lines, they're waiting to get into the house, but that's not how it works at least right this second in New York City.
1: Interesting, very cool. And and one of the questions I had for you: Have any crazy open house stories that you could share?
0: Oh my god! Um, <laughs> well, let's sort of just okay. So one of the best ones ever. I was brand new, and it was a public open house. My wife was sort of you know room you know the, the apartment, and I was signing people in. And there's got to be, it was a small two bedroom. There had to be 25 people in the open house. And the woman says to me, can I use the bathroom? Like, I didn't even know how to respond. So I said, sure, use the bathroom. So she uses the bathroom. She's in there for like 15 minutes and then she leaves. And I go into the bathroom. I'm like, oh my God, this woman pooped in the bathroom and didn't even flush. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. So I'm laughing so hard about it, you know, I, you know, I made sure everything was fine. The next day I'm at the gym at five 30 in the morning, stretching with like five people. We're about to do a spin class. And I start telling him about the pooper. And all of a sudden the woman walks up the stairs at the gym and I just completely lose <laughs> it. It was just
1: hilarious,
0: it. but no, I've walked oh. in on, I mean, I've gone into walkthroughs where I walk in and there's a guy taking a shower and a glass shower. And I'm like, who are you and what are you doing here? And he's like, who are you? And I'm like, uh, I'm the seller's agent and we're closing today. You got to get out of here. So <laughs> we've, we've seen some funny things.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, in New York city, and this is once again, am switching gears a little bit. Um, I, when anecdotally, I look at online and, you know, two-bedroom apartments, you know, the, the numbers are really astronomical mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, and it seems like, you know, during COVID, there was a little bit, everyone was scared. Now, everyone seems to be back in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like the city is bustling more than ever. I was in the city today. I was at my office. Right. Um, got got out of work, walked to Grand Central. Trains were busy. Right. Streets were busy. I think right. everything's back to, what well, I'll call normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can someone still... Who's looking to buy in New York City today? Can they still find a deal, and how would they go about finding it?
0: So I I actually think that this is one of the best times ever to be a purchaser in New York City, um, and the reason being is obviously we don't have to talk about interest rates because we know what's happened there, and you know last year I could put a hut, you know, on the market and would sell in three days, and this year it's more seasonal and it has definitely slowed down. Stock market gyrations and the interest rates increases and the war and the gas prices, all of that has affected real estate, especially in New York. So there's more things that are sitting there. And, you know, the sellers either say, you know what, I'm going to take it off the market or, you know what, I'm going to rent it instead. Or if they've already made a decision to leave the city, then they may say, you know what, cut it to the number that I know I'm going to buy it at. So there's definitely opportunities for, I wouldn't say they're fire sales, but I would say there's opportunities. And at that point, that's when an agent is like, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is a great deal. If you don't buy it, I'm going to buy it.
1: Interesting. And and that kind of leads to my next question around kind of what's your current five-year outlook for the New York's real estate market? I know no one has a crystal ball, and it's kind of anecdotal, but what do you think when you look at the five years ahead?
0: Um, I would say next year is going to be is going to move sideways, um, whether we have a recession or not. I think it's going to be positive two percent, minus two percent, so not a big swing. And then I think you know once the economy picks up, look, New York is only it's an island and it's not going anywhere. So and there's only so many you know dilapidated buildings and, and parking lots you can build on. So I think over the five-year period we'll have a good we'll have a good run. I just don't know when that will be, but there'll be a good positive run. Cool, yeah.
1: And, and mentioned earlier in the podcast, or I referenced along the way, asking about you know those those TV shows. There's a lot of real estate TV shows, mm-hmm. very popular on Netflix and and uh, HTV TV, HGTV, mm-hmm. and such. How realistic? are all of those real estate agent shows. Is there any insights that you could give in terms of?
0: You know, if they're all, you know, I mean, look, Million Dollar Listing, which is a very, very successful brand. A lot of it is, you know, embellished. But I mean, I will tell you, I mean, I've done multiple deals with two of the agents that have been on Million Dollar Listing New York and they're real pros. I mean, they are pros. They work hard, they hustle, they're communicative, they respond to you immediately. So that part of it is real. You know, talking into a phone where you're like holding it in your hand and talking like this. Sorry, nobody does that. You know, Um, (laughs) nobody's going to go and meet somebody at coffee and negotiate a deal. Like, it's just not how that works. So, you know, some of it's real and some of it's just embellished.
1: Cool. And one other follow-up question to that, and, it's, and I know on those shows they talk about a broker's open. That seems to be a popular topic that they do. Um, how real is that, and, and do those broker opens really influence pricing in any way when you get the brokers together and ask them their opinion?
0: I mean, in my humble opinion, so let's say I have a new listing and I'm going to serve Nobu Sushi at the broker's open house, Right. The high-end brokers are not coming to have Nobu Sushi. They're not. So the ones that are hungry or the ones that just want to come and snoop around that probably don't, and I'm probably going to hell by saying this, but probably don't have customers for that listing, they're going to come and have sushi. I think brokers open houses are a complete waste of time. Complete.
1: And what's the alternative to that? Is that just... The listings having those intimate conversations with the other brokers on a one-on-one basis. If they have a real customer that that's interested, is yeah. that how that works typically? Yeah,
0: it's it's that. It's doing a professional video. It's doing social media on you know on Facebook and Facebook Live and Facebook Business Page and LinkedIn and YouTube and you know um, <clears throat> uh, you know all those different things. Those brokers are watching what we do and we're watching what they're doing. And if I see something coming on at the Abthorpe, like today, my wife saw something that came on the Abthorpe. It's one of my favorite buildings on 79th and Broadway. It's a $24,000 a month rental. We have a customer that wants something like that. I texted it to him immediately and I'm like, oh my God, this is my favorite, one of my favorite buildings in the city. Do you want to come see it? So that's, that's really, you know, the way it goes. The Brokers Open House is our, You know, unless the seller's like, I want to have a broker's open house, they're a waste of time.
1: Yeah. And is that, and once again, I'm going to ask kind of a follow-up question to that. Are they? Do they not work in the metropolitan areas or is it something that doesn't work in general? Like do broker open houses, are they like in Long Island or in the suburbs? Does it work better if you're not in the metropolitan area?
0: I think they do work better outside of New York City, yes.
1: Got it. Got it. Yeah, because it's an interesting market with kind of the density, mm-hmm. right, That and, and and spacing and such. So right. um, a couple of – just like, I want to wrap up with a two two additional questions. Sure. Right? One, uh, what is your favorite part of working in
0: real estate? So, <laughs> excuse me, when I worked service, you know, a, a nighttime service in a restaurant, and you were just getting slammed, and but everything was going out almost like a ballet, there was a high that you would get. That high in the real estate business is when the deal is accepted. So you could be negotiating for five days, you know, but when it finally hits, now that doesn't mean the deal is going to happen, but the offer is accepted. It's the same high as being in the restaurant, in the kitchen, sweating your tushy off, you know, banging out food and making 150 or 200 people happy in that dining room. That's, That's really what it is.
1: That's cool. That's cool. And and my last question is: I had the pleasure. I thank you once again for the invite to meet a bunch of different real estate folks oh, for drinks um, a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. Met, met your wife Carolyn, and yeah. and you know, after talking to her, talking to you, the last question I really have for you is: How do you balance family life? You have the two kids. You and your wife working together. You're working in one of the heck most hectic cities on the planet. You know, how do you balance and have everything be successful? Balance a family life, successful <laughs> real estate business. How, how do you do it all?
0: I think, honestly, it's with humor. Um, you know, today, this so this morning, um, my wife had to go to my son's school for, like, grandparents' day. And so she and my, my father-in-law went to, to the school and on Fridays for an hour or two, I box, I do boxing. And she says to me, like, I'm at my at boxing and I've been working, you know, I worked before the boxing, I worked after the boxing. And she sends me a text and she goes, can you pick up the kids? Now I box all the way downtown on Canal Street. There's no way I'm getting to the Upper East Side by 2.30. And I'm like, honey, I can't do it. And she goes, oh, that's so interesting. Cause I looked at your calendar and it looks like your spa day ends at 2 PM. And I'm just like, that's funny. So it's, I think a lot of it is just humor. Um, Negotiations can get very tense. Um, You know, I will bounce things off of her and she'll bounce things off of me before doing a knee jerk reaction to another broker, because sometimes they're just trying to set us up and we have to make sure that we're, you know, on a unified front in order to, help our customers in the best way that we can. So it's humor, it's focus, it's teamwork. And for us, you know, there's a lot of partners in, this re- in the business, but for us, the money all goes in one place. For partners, the money's not all going in one place. It's getting divvied up. So there may be some issues with, oh my God, that guy's doing more work or I'm not, you know, he's not doing as much work as I should be doing or that I'm doing. And with us, it's like, we're we're on a unified front. Money's coming in the same place, and if you got to watch the kids for a couple hours, I got I got you covered, Carolyn.
1: Oh, very cool, very cool. Well, I think with that we'll wrap up the podcast. I, a couple of things that I took away, and I'm I'm gonna li- I listen back to all the podcasts. Sure. This is one that I'll probably listen back to a couple of times because, like I said, I'm very fascinated about this industry. Um, the one thing I took away was one, you know. Separating the deal. I think that's important. I think some some brokers might not do that, but the way you spelled it out, that's the way people should focus on, right? right? When they're mm-hmm. separating the deal, if you know representing the buy-sell side of the transaction. Yes. The other thing was that getting that ideal representation, all the technology in the world will only go so far. You need that boots on the ground oh, yeah. representative that's going to help you find the deals, answer your questions, be that fiduciary for you, be that negotiator for you, make sure all the paperwork's set, all Mm -hmm. those kind of things. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And, and I think that with that, I want to give you an opportunity, any final words and any plugs, how can people get in touch with you? And then we'll wrap up the show.
0: Um, I mean, you can always call me at my office, 212-769-9807. That's 212-769-9807. I'm all over all the social media um, our website is the Zwieben team or just Zwieben team. We have two different websites, um, you know. And whether you're hiring me or someone else, you always want to make sure that they're putting your needs before their needs, and that's what it's all about. Because you know, you never want to be working with a broker that has commission breath and is looking out for themselves and not looking out for you. Awesome. Well, well,
1: Paul, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today Same and I'm personally here. looking forward to the next one. Yes. Thanks everyone for downloading our podcast. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul reminding you managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success.